all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Well, if you're listening on a Wednesday, uh, we are live taking your calls today. If not, uh, we, if you're listening after the fact, that's okay. Got lots of good information that I am anticipating that we're going to cover. If you're new to the program, this is the uh, program where you can call in with your medical questions. It can be for yourself or someone else of any age. The number to call if you'd like to call us this morning is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four, and if you can't call, you can always email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind people uh, as we take calls throughout the hour, we're sort of limited by time, of course, and that this is an hourly program. We do have some some breaks that we take throughout the hour, but uh, to get to give everybody enough time to answer their calls and to hear their calls, we'd encourage people to call early in the hour. We always have more time in the earlier parts of the hour. So uh, if you uh, are waiting to the second half, it's more likely that we would have more time to answer your question. If you can go ahead and call again, that number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 We do archive our programs online. So if you go to mpbonline.org and search for Southern Remedy, you can find access to all of our uh, old programs. It takes us about a day to get those up. Uh, But we recognize that a lot of people won't hear the entire program. They have other responsibilities, and we appreciate you tuning in at least part of the time. Uh, But if you'd like to hear something, maybe you missed a question or a discussion about something, you can always go to the website and uh, you can uh, tune in and and listen to what we said on previous programs. Well, we are in the right in the middle of the summer. I told somebody this morning, welcome to the Mississippi Rainforest. Uh, certainly we've got lots of, uh, high temperatures and humidity and lots of rain throughout the state, uh, sort of a typical pattern for us in, uh, July, August is here, uh, right on our doorstep. Do want to caution people about, as you are outside doing things that you take into account the heat and humidity and that you're not going to be able to regulate your temperature as well as you could at other times of year. We sort of were spoiled early in our summer, had a great May. And um, in June, uh, part of June at least, um, with milder temperatures than we normally have throughout the state. That was really nice, uh, but uh, we can get lulled into a sense of uh, complacency to not hydrate appropriately. You don't have to drink uh, Gatorade, Powerade, other things, uh, electrolyte drinks. I know a lot of people, particularly kids, um, that uh, that do that, Um, but uh, pre-workout outside, water works really well. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. Got a couple of people on the line. We want to go ahead and get started on those. So I believe we've got Tom from Brandon. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, doctor. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. Uh, 
first, let me say I sent an email last week, but I addressed it to Southern Remedy before I corrected it to Remedy. So if you get that email, you can disregard it today because I'm on the phone. Uh, let me start by saying up until about a week ago, if you had asked, I would have told you I'm an extremely fit and healthy 75-year-old male. But an incident happened that has me concerned. I got up about 5 a.m. in the morning, which is my typical wake-up time anyway, and I was a little dizzy as I sat up. And I've had this occurrence maybe three or four times in the past. And typically when I walk, I list a little to one side like a drunken sailor, but I you know, never really had much of a problem. On this time, as I was walking to the bathroom, all of a sudden I found myself falling. Uh, I don't know if I passed out for an instant, but I did have the consciousness to realize I was falling, but helpless to do anything about it. And of course, I hit the worst piece of furniture I could possibly hit, a solid chest that put a gash in my forehead and a lot of bruises and other contusions. Uh, But I thought that it probably was vertigo. Uh, I think I confirmed that the next day two mornings because the room was spinning when I woke up the next two mornings. And it it's, it is, uh, I thought when I read that it would spin, it would be like a record on a turntable. But for me, it was like being inside a barrel and going roof from ceiling to, to floor, turning that way. Uh, but at my age, you start to be concerned, you know, things pop into your mind, aneurysm, stroke, uh, all those kind of things. Um, I, I, I emailed my GP, and he suggested meclizine, which I had gotten. But I'm still suffering a week later in the morning. Now, mid-morning, even uh, the second and third day, after uh, I lay still for a while, mid-morning I can get up. And as long as I'm, my head's elevated, uh, I seem to be okay. I've been able to do you know, my normal functions, play golf or whatever. Uh, so I'm, I'm just concerned uh, and just uh, I don't know if I need to see a, a ear, nose, and throat specialist or whether it just subsides by itself eventually uh, or if there's something else I should do. So I thought I'd ask you, and I also thought that you might want to take this occurrence because I understand now why people of my age can kill themselves quickly with a fall because I hit pretty hard when I hit that uh, piece of furniture. And I'll just yeah, listen. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, I, I can tell you, you know, in terms of being fit, I, I know when you first get up, your blood pressure might go down, but my blood pressure has always been good. The only medication I take is a 40 milligram uh, statin for my cholesterol to keep it below 200. But typically, my blood pressure, it might range between 115 and 135 on any day, but typically it's right about the 125 range, systemic, uh, systolic, I mean. And uh, in the mid-70s, dystolic. So, you know, I'm just concerned that, that this happened. I certainly don't want it to happen again. Yeah, Tom, you gave a lot of good information. Thanks for that um, uh, you know, description. That was very good about describing exactly what's happening. For somebody like yourself that's been very healthy up to this point, you hit the nail on the head. Falls are one of the biggest risks for health-related issues uh, in the elderly, uh, now that's technically over 65 and up, 
in fact, if you look at the data about, you know, 65 and older, about a quarter of people will have a, a fall, a significant fall uh, at, at some point um, uh, in the year. Uh, and then if you look at over 85, about a third of people will have that. There are some risk factors for that. Uh, certainly remaining healthy like you have managed to do is, is protective against that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Certainly age, uh, as you get older, <coughs> you have uh, increased risk there. Um, <coughs> females are a little bit more at risk than males uh, for that. Um, other concomitant medical conditions can certainly contribute to it. In your case, I do think vertigo is probably the correct diagnosis. And the key to that is something you described, and that's positional changes, usually from going from laying down or sitting down, but it's usually the head changing positions from laying down to getting up abruptly. Uh, and middle of the night can be one of the most difficult times for that. And it's, you know, when people say I'm dizzy or lightheaded, it can mean different things. But that rotational component that you described or that that uh, being in a barrel with it moving around or being on a tilt a twirl and you know if you can think about the fair and those kinds of things things that are that make you feel like the room is spinning those are all descriptions of vertigo so vertigo is different than just getting dizzy or lightheaded when you get up abruptly um, blood pressure I think you that was a good uh, you know good data to have to see what your blood pressure is we know as you get older that blood pressure sometimes can get too low or your body can have some problems regulating your pulse rate and your blood pressure over time. But it does sound like this is probably uh, vertigo. Now, the most common cause is a disorder in the inner ear, which is one of the centers, the main centers that controls where we are in space over time. So there's little otoliths, little rocks, if you will, in those otoliths in the inner ear that do uh, tell your brain and what your orientation in space is. And if there's any kind of problem with that, usually you can have a, uh, you can have a spontaneous problem with it that you don't really know why. Sometimes it follows a viral infection. Uh, you can have uh, vertigo. There's a couple of different maneuvers that you can do. You mentioned about who to see. If it's been going, along as, if it's been going on as long as you said, I probably would try to see uh, an ear, nose, and throat doctor, or uh, they're also known as otolaryngologist, particularly somebody who is skilled in vertigo. So there is uh, a whole different sort of specialty within ENTs for that. Um, and uh, basically what they're going to do is a couple of tests in the office. One is called a Dix-Hallpike maneuver, which is they basically put you through some uh, movements that can uh, stimulate the same kind of symptoms that you're having. So it's not pleasant um, to, uh, to do that, but you can, you know, you can sort of reproduce that and that gives you the diagnosis. And then in the office, they can do an Epley maneuver. An Epley maneuver is designed to put those otoliths, those little rocks, uh, microscopic rocks in the inner ear back in the same orientation that they need to be in. So they move your head around a little bit they can show you how to do this at home so that if it recurs, you can do that. There are other medications you can take. Meclizine has been used quite a bit. There's a couple of others out there, but really getting a correct diagnosis by an expert like an ear, nose, and throat specialist is key and having them to, to verify that's what you have. And then, uh, you know, trying to, to give you those maneuvers that you can do or that they can do in the office to help out. 
Um, you know, certainly as you get older, it is extremely important to try to decrease your risk of falls. Um, lower extremity weakness can be a big one. Balance problems, arthritis, all these things can sort of contribute to that. Uh, injuries to falls are one of the leading causes of, uh, of complications to our normal lives when we get older. And you can be very, very healthy and have a fall and have a whole lot of problems afterwards. I'm, I'm happy that you didn't have any other problems because it sounds like you took a nasty hit. But I, I would go ahead and see an ear, nose, and throat specialist. By what you told me, I don't think there's a very high likelihood that this was from your heart or this was from any other you know, problem. Like everybody always thinks about stroke or heart attack or heart problems, heart arrhythmias. Uh, it doesn't sound like that by what you told me in the history. It does sound more like vertigo. Yeah, let me uh, add two other things. Uh, one is uh, whenever I have this dizziness, uh, uh, and like I say, in the afternoon it's not, it's, it goes away, but it, whenever I have this, it's, I seem to break out in a cold sweat. And the other thing is that I always have done sit-ups in the morning, uh, I can't do them. I haven't been able to do them for a week because whenever I try to do a sit-up, that's when it really affects me. Which yeah, I, that fits with vertigo. That's just vertigo. another historical part. Yeah, that that's definitely, uh, and then that's, that's screaming that it's vertigo, particularly with the sit-ups. The nausea, some people can get nausea and vomiting if you think about it, too. If you spin people fast enough and, you know, in a circle, a lot, a lot of times you can get nauseous with that. So that, that all fits with vertigo to me. So I think the ENT is definitely the, the person to, to follow up with. Okay, the cold sweat doesn't really, it, that's just something that yeah, I, yeah, I think that probably goes along with it, too. It doesn't really dissuade me to think it's something else. Okay. All right, well, I appreciate the show, and I appreciate you, Dr. Stewart, uh, and your knowledge. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Back to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, taking your calls about any kind of health issue that you might have. The number to call this morning is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Let's go to Roger in Florence. So good morning, Roger. What can we do for you this morning? Hey, uh, I'm driving hands-free on the phone. I'm 81. Okay, stay safe while we pretty, stay safe while we do this. Thank you. Pretty good shape. Uh, 
I've had a heart stent put in a year ago. I've uh, anyway, I stayed in, in good shape running and all as a ready reservist. So my fifties and sixties, thank goodness, I was in good shape. Now I'm not in very good shape, and I'm developing arthritis in my fingers, especially my left hand, and my left thumb has been severely painful for a couple, two or three years. And gotten bad enough, so I want to do something about it. I went to an orthopedic surgeon. He's the one who put my shoulder back together 20 years ago, and he does arms and hands and fingers. And he's got a procedure he recommends, and I'm set up to get it done, that basically looks into that bone beneath the thumb where it connects to the wrist and takes a piece of it off and, uh, and repairs it. Now, you know the name of it. It starts with an N, four, four letters. And I'm wondering if you have experience or anecdotal information about it. I'm not too concerned about the operation itself. It's a long recovery period, probably a lot of OT afterwards, but, and very painful and all that. But I'm losing the use of this hand because my grip is so weak because it hurts. So I'm going to go ahead and do it, I think. I am. I mean, I'm scheduled this, this week. Uh, but my question has to do with two things. Uh, what do you know about that procedure? And the second question is, I've always had trouble with general anesthesia. Uh, I've mentioned a couple of things, of procedures I've had, and I've had other ones, and I always beg the anesthesiologist to go easy, and he never does. And I, I have a hard time. They can't wake me up, and I'll suffer for days afterward. Well, I'm older now, and I don't want to suffer, and I don't know if that's a danger. So those two questions, thank you. I really appreciate your program, by the way, Jimmy. Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you, Roger. Yeah, the thumb is one of the most, for osteoarthritis, which is the type of arthritis that is wear and tear on our bodies, because of our thumb joint and how much we use our hands, that is a one of the most common places to have arthritis over time. And unfortunately, you know, as, as you do use your hands more and more, um, you definitely want to continue moving them. Not moving them sort of accelerates the process, actually. But for some people, it can be pretty painful. And Loss of function, as you described, is probably the, the biggest reason why you need to do something about it, particularly if it's in your dominant hand. Now, uh, I'm not an orthopedic surgeon. I'm not a hand surgeon. So I, I would, uh, particularly for that area, I would make sure, I'm sure you've made sure that this is, you know, the surgeon is, is very uh, familiar with this. It's something that they do. Hand surgeons are either uh, orthopedic surgeons or plastic surgeons that have received an additional training and experience um, after they've completed their other residencies to, uh, to sort of specialize within the hand. And um, that's important, I think, uh, to have somebody that knows what they're doing there. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not familiar because I'm not a hand surgeon with the, the particular technique um, that they're doing, but any kind of procedure like that, you'd want to ask about risk, benefits, how many they've done, what's the usual uh, you know, recovery time, and what does that look like? What can you expect after the surgery to regain as far as function? And everybody's going to be a little bit different, of course, but those are the main questions to ask about that. Uh, but it sounds like, you know, just by what you said, you're down to the point where surgery is probably going to give you at least some some functional mobility and maybe decrease a little bit of the um, a little bit of the um, pain that you're having. I would 
uh, you know, you mentioned occupational therapy, extremely important, particularly for hand surgeries. You have that afterwards. You can have the best surgical result in the world, but if you're not able to do the occupational therapy, uh, and usually occupational therapy is anything from like the upper extremities up. So that's something that mainly hands uh, that you need to do therapy afterwards. Uh, you can totally ruin a great uh, surgical repair uh, or procedure with not doing that. So that's part of the whole process. You got to commit to that. Um, as far as anesthesia, so a lot of people do have problems with different anesthesias. It, usually it's not a true allergy to a certain agent, although you can see that. Anesthesiologists um, do, uh, you know, fairly uh, detailed questionnaires about that. I would talk to whoever's going to do the anesthesia. Sometimes they do that right around the time of surgery. Uh, but I, you might, it might be worth a call to uh, wherever you're going to get it done to say, hey, can I speak to an anesthesiologist about this beforehand because I have had problems in the past. And then there's a lot of different options, particularly for extremity, sort of low-risk surgeries like that, that they might can do something a little bit different. Um, usually they'll use general anesthesia. Some people will use regional anesthesia in certain circumstances uh, to minimize some of the side effects. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind, if previous surgeries, if they were a long time ago, we've got a lot of lot more better agents to use for anesthesia, uh, for surgical anesthesia now that don't have a lot of the side effects that they used to. Uh, and we've learned a lot more about, about what, work, what works better in different people and dosing. So um, those are some things to keep in mind about it. But uh, And it's not too late to do that, even if you're scheduled for later this week or next week. Um, I would call, and uh, I'm sure they can give you more information. Uh, it Always you want to trust that surgeon as much as you can, and the more information you get on things, uh, the better for, uh, for having a good outcome. So that's what I would say, Roger, uh, to that, and uh, good luck to you with that. I hope you have a good outcome and, uh, and uh, fly through that uh, without any kind of complications. Let's go to Mary, uh, who I believe is listening online. Good morning, Mary. Hey, how you doing? Good. Thank you for uh, calling in. Yes, but what I was calling in for, I decided to call in because I've been to different doctors and things, and I'm having this problem of sort of burning urine. I don't urine. I urinate. I don't burn, but I just feel the burning down there. And I've had different, uh, I had emo, I had a UTI, and, they, and I had a home remedy uh, test. And it showed that I had one. Then I go to the doctor, different doctor thing. It showed that I don't have one. And and I'm trying to see is is I eat a lot of acid, a lot of not acid food, but I eat a lot of fruits and stuff. I wonder if what that the cause of. I don't have no kind of diabetic, uh, uh, heart problem, bladder, nothing like that. I'm trying to see. Is it because I'm eating the wrong kind of too much acid food? I eat fruits and stuff all day. Yeah. yeah, those are great questions. Uh, so, Mary, UTIs or urinary tract infections or bladder infections, a lot of people will describe them that way. Very common, uh, more common in women than men. And as you get older, it can be more and more of a, of a problem. Uh, most women who have these are a lot of times able to tell you exactly what's going on. They, they have, if you unfortunately have multiple UTIs, usually the symptoms match up so well that they can just tell their physician and uh, most of the time they, they can be pretty accurate in the diagnosis, but there are other things that can cause burning in the urine. 
now you mentioned a home test to see if you've got a, a urinary tract infection. Those home tests are, uh, they do test for certain substances or breakdown products in the urine that sometimes go along with a urinary tract in infection, but not always. It's not specific for that. So, uh, and that's the reason why the home test said that you had an infection, but when you go to the doctor, they do uh, some more definitive testing that basically they'll get a urine sample. They'll look for white blood cells in the urine, yeah. which is not something a, a home test would normally look for. Uh, mm -hmm. they, would, um, they would look for actual bacteria in the urine, uh, yeah. and then they would also uh, uh, put the urine in a culture medium, and that's to grow out the bacteria. And that's important uh, most of the time because we want to be very specific with the antibiotic that we prescribe to try to treat the infection. So you don't want to, you know, and sometimes you can have resistance to multiple antibiotics. If you treated you with a common antibiotic without doing that, you might miss that and you really wouldn't treat the infection. Okay, uh, so that's why it's, pro it's pro go ahead. They did treat me with different kind of antibiotics, different time and stuff, but it didn't do no, it didn't do no good. But it's not real bad, but it still didn't do no good. And they, you know, I don't know, they gave me the right kind of antibiotic for that or what? Yeah, it sounds to me like you might not have had one then. It may be something else that's going on. So uh, other substances, you know, your urine basically is made up of waste products that your body gets rid of and, and water uh, with that to keep them uh, soluble. Uh, so not. basically, you're right. What you eat sometimes can sort of influence that. And most people sort of can trial and error can sort of see what kind of things exacerbate it. Excessive amounts of vitamin C can do that. It mostly goes along with supplements rather than eating fruit, a lot of fruits, but it's possible that you're eating something that it's irritating the urethra, and that's the, the opening that goes from the bladder to the outside of the body. Um, okay. So that, that's a possibility. I'm sorry, go ahead. Can I not be drinking enough water? Yeah, that's another possibility, too, because when you don't drink enough water, a lot of those waste products, they come out of solution. So they solidify and they can have, they can be more concentrated and that just being more concentrated can irritate the urethra as they pass out of your body. So that, that's an excellent thing. Actually, I was going that direction. Uh, so you had you're headed that direction before me, which is great. So uh, drinking more water can be one of the things to help flush things out of your body a lot easier and it can decrease the amount of burning that you, you can have. So the first thing is eliminate the, the chance that you're having an infection, which sounds like that's what they've done, even though they've treated you. That's probably not what's going on if the urine is clean at the doctor's office. And then it's, you know, drinking more water can sometimes help flush that out. And then being careful about what you eat to try to figure out if there's certain kinds of things that might be irritating it. Sometimes medications that you take chronically for other problems can do that as well. So some medications are eliminated, the breakdown products in the urine, and sometimes people can have uh, what we call a urethritis, which is just an inflammation of the urethra from that. Another thing is external things. Uh, we see this a lot in kids sometimes. Uh, they'll take bubble baths, and uh, the, the yeah. irritation of the urethra from that, from taking a bath, and the soapy uh, sort of uh, the water that you have with bubble baths, that can 
the detergents there can irritate the urethra. So if you're taking baths, you may want to switch to taking a shower if you can. Um, but those are the main causes of burning that aren't related to, uh, to an infection. So drinking plenty of water would probably be a first step, Mary, and then, you know, going, going from there to try to figure out other things. Okay, and I have one more question, quick question right quick, and the it is, uh, I have arthritis. I went to the foot doctor, he did x-ray, and he showed arthritis in my ankle, and every time I get up in the morning time and walk on it, I can feel the irritating getting in my ankle and making it swell. And so when I get up off it, I walk a lot, and uh, it, it go in my ankle don't swell. Yeah, and that's just the wear and tear on the joint. So that's pretty common with arthritis. Like if you move it more, there there is a point. You know, I know I said previously, you know, moving joints can help. Sometimes, particularly if they're weight bearing joints, where you're putting a lot of weight on them over time, like your ankle, you do have to stay off of them a little bit. There are some newer, or there's a lot of things you can do. Sometimes you can get injections injections into that joint space to help with the inflammation. That may last three six months. Uh, but uh, in some cases, if it's severe enough, an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in that ankle joint may be somebody to see. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, taking your calls, and we've had some good ones this morning. Uh, if you'd like to uh, call us with a question about your health, whether that's about your medications or different uh, complaints or symptoms that you're having, maybe you haven't been able to nail it down just yet, uh, we'd love to be able to help you with that. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 we realize not everybody's able to call in at this time. If you want to send us an email, we do try to get to those from time to time and uh, share those with uh, our larger audience. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. And uh, speaking of that, we did have a caller who had emailed us too. Uh, Tom uh, called earlier and was having some problems with vertigo and falls. I did want to mention for falls in the elderly, there's lots of different things to think about. Uh, polypharmacy, that's just a fancy term that means you take a lot of medications. Sometimes as we get older, uh, medication use, they can sort of creep up on you, particularly if you go to see multiple doctors uh, for different problems. And it's not uncommon to see a patient over the age of 70 that may be taking uh, multiple medications, 5, 10, sometimes 15 medications. 
medications uh, need to be looked at, particularly as you get older, because you metabolize those differently, you utilize those differently. And a lot of times you need to adjust either the number or uh, a lot of the, uh, the types of medications or even doses that you're taking. They may be working just fine for 20 years, but as you get older, you may have to cut back on the dose. And that can be a, a cause, particularly, you know, hypertension medications are one of the a big cause of falls uh, in the elderly. And uh, other things like uh, benzodiazepines, uh, which are uh, used a lot of times for anxiety, uh, and uh, the, those can cause extra, uh, a lot of um, uh, excess uh, sleepiness and, uh, and dizziness uh, that can put you at risk for falls. If you have had a lot of falls, and certainly if you've had one, that puts you at risk for having another one, uh, and you've ruled out your physician has sort of investigated other causes for that over time, uh, you might benefit from seeing a physical therapist. Uh, there's a lot of good techniques that they can do for postural training and balance training. Uh, a lot of cool stuff that they can show you how to do at home. Uh, that's probably one of the best things you can do. And a, a side effect of that is it can help maintain your uh, bone density over time. So certainly getting enough calcium and vitamin D in your system to maintain your bone mass, uh, coupled with doing exercises to try to strengthen your bones over time can help, and it can help stabilize those muscles that you, that you lose over time. For instance, sort of the muscles that help you move laterally uh, usually a fall occurs if it's a misstep, it can be in the middle of the night, maybe there's a rug that's uh, sort of in the way, uh, that can help sort of navigate that. And then some simple things in your home, uh, if, you're, if you're elderly, particularly if you've moved into a new house, but even if you're in the one you've been in for a long time, uh, it helps to look at that. Uh, you Sometimes you can get home health to come out and do an assessment, but you can do it yourself at home. Look for those areas that may be a fall risk. If it's an uneven surface, a doorstop, a rug, uh, pets, small pets that are moving around underneath your feet. And think about those uh, corners of uh, you know, furniture that's sticking out. Those are all different things that uh, can cause you to fall, even if you're uh, very uh, adept at navigating the house. That, that's a potential, particularly in lower light areas or if you're impaired through some other means. And then night lights at night are an excellent choice. I know a lot of people are like, well, I've done really well in my house. I know everything. Well, still at night, your vision may be impacted too. You're not able to see as well. Uh, a night light in the hallway or in the bathroom might be a good idea to try to uh, decrease that risk of falls. And certainly not just for patients too, but we all, uh, you know, a lot of us have uh, our, um, our, parents or grandparents are getting up in ages and uh, uh, it's a good idea to go through their homes and where they're staying just to try to um, to try to look for for different things like that that might be uh, impacting their mobility around the house so keep that in mind with falls that certainly can uh, decrease your risk over time uh, and uh, decrease all the bad things that can happen whether you're breaking a hip or falling down hitting your head having a bleed uh, all those things can be at least uh, decrease the risk as much as possible. So uh, think about that. Have a discussion with your physician about that. Geriatricians are trained to deal with that, particularly the issues of falls in polypharmacy and other causes and risk that are involved as you get older. It might be a good idea to see a geriatrician uh, even as a, um, 
uh, a consult to your regular physician just to get some some more information about that. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB Ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Got plenty of time left in the hour for you to call in if you have a question about something. Certainly, we haven't m- mentioned COVID uh, yet in the program. Uh, still a lot of concern with that. I can tell you that uh, you know our, at our own institution here in Jackson at University of Mississippi Medical Center in our hospital, we've seen record numbers numbers of inpatients with COVID, uh, and uh, really have had uh, limited, much more limited resources than we'd like to have. You know, you have to think about it's not just the COVID patients that are in the hospital. We have to have the resources to treat everything that we would normally treat, like heart attacks and strokes. Uh, and pneumonia and uh, kidney failure, all these things that you would normally go into a hospital for, trauma-related things and falls, certainly all those things are, we want to be able to take care of those patients in the same kind of way that we're taking care of COVID patients right now. So you can do your part to uh, help decrease the spread. Simple things that you can do for yourself and for your neighbor and those who are near and dear to you in your home. So wearing a mask, staying uh, away from other people. So that means separating yourself from with at least six feet of distance, washing your hands frequently uh, and making sure that you're not uh, gathering together inside in large numbers. All those things can help decrease the spread of, of COVID. If you do have symptoms, it's um, uh, a good idea to call early about that. Don't just show up at your doctor's office, call the number we're trying to do testing across the state. Uh, in ways that help protect you and other people should you be positive. Uh, so uh, make sure that you know what to do if you have those symptoms. And again, that's a fever, a cough, diarrhea that's unexplained, uh, shortness of breath. All those things can be symptoms of uh, COVID-19. So you'd want to call your physician if you do have that. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls and questions about any kind of health issue that you have. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Again, check out our website, mpbonline.org. Lots of good information there. Not just Southern Remedy-related questions, but also um, 
other uh, previous programs that are on there and all the other programs that are produced here at uh, MPB Think Radio. Uh, let's go to, uh, actually, we lost our caller there. So I was going to talk about a little bit, uh, though, I had a question about hepatitis C uh, from a patient in, uh, in in clinic a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, we certainly, we've been speaking a lot about COVID-19 as a virus and sort of how viruses work. And a lot of people hopefully are a little bit more up to speed on that, about how different viruses work. Uh, there is a lot of misconceptions, I think, about being infected with a virus and symptoms. And uh, hepatitis C is a good example of a virus that is, uh, is fairly common. Uh, it's one of the most common causes of liver damage over time and hepatocellular carcinoma or liver cancer over time. Uh, hepatitis C virus is uh, usually contracted uh, through contaminated blood products, uh, before we did universal screening of those, uh, there were a lot of people that were infected over time. If you have multiple transfusions because of a medical condition, you're certainly at risk. Uh, any IV drug use uh, certainly could put you at, uh, at, uh, at increased risk of that, too. So lots of ways that you can, cr uh, you can contract that. Uh, now, it's a little bit different. There are different types of um, um, uh, hepatitis. Um, uh, hepatitis that uh, uh, viruses, uh, hepatitis A virus is one that you can get from contaminated foods. Hepatitis B virus is a little bit different transmission. And uh, certainly if you're in the healthcare industry, you, most people are now immunized against that. Hepatitis C virus, we don't have an immunization to help prevent that. But we know that uh, the individuals who do have hepatitis C, 50% of them won't have any symptoms whatsoever. And uh, it can hang around in your body a long time and do enough damage to your liver that 20, 30, 40 years after that initial infection, you can, um, you can um, uh, have uh, a lot of problems with it uh, over time. So because of that, we are now recommending that you be screened. Uh, all adults ages 18 and over be screened once for hepatitis C virus, whether or not you have any kind of symptoms whatsoever. And a lot of the, the symptoms can be related to the liver problems, like a yellowing of the skin or liver dysfunction in other ways. But all individuals over the age of 18 probably should be uh, screened once. It's a blood test that we get for that. And uh, if you are uh, positive for that, there are a lot of confirmed. There's a confirmatory test, of course. And th thankfully, now we have a lot of ways to treat this. Um, We've had good treatment regimens for hepatitis C virus for about 20 some odd years now. Some of the latest ones uh, do not have as many of the side effects. You do have to have some uh, risk assessment for that and benefit. Uh, but we do have usually infectious disease specialists are the ones that, uh, and hepatologists um, are the ones who uh, to see for those types of clinics to see if you're a candidate for, for treatment. But the first step would be screening. So. Ask your physician or your healthcare provider about that. Again, if you're age 18 and over, uh, up to about 79 years of age, uh, if you're over that, it's probably unlikely that you're going to have hepatitis C um, uh, virus if you haven't had any other uh, risk factors or symptoms with that at that point. But um, uh, it's a good idea to do that. Most insurances will now cover that. And again, it's just a one-time screen uh, to, uh, to get checked out for it. 
I know a lot of patients out there are a little scared to know about these kinds of things. Like, well, do I need to know about it if I'm asymptomatic? Why are we even checking for it? And the whole reason for the increased screening for hepatitis C uh, in the last few years has been entirely because of the success that we've had with treatment. So we can uh, pretty much eradicate that from the body uh, and prevent a lot of the liver damage or uh, the uh, risk of cancer in the liver uh, from doing that. And uh, screenings in general, a good idea to get that done. I know it's a little bit difficult right now. Uh, I've been trying to catch up on a lot of colonoscopies since we've opened that back up for a lot of people. There may be certain screenings that are needed before that procedure. Um, a lot of COVID testing with elective procedures right now, like colonoscopies. Extremely important. One of the best ways to put years on your life and to avoid uh, potentially uh, damaging cancer from colon cancer. Uh, a lot of people are scared about, you know, what's it going to be like? Um, I can tell you, I haven't had this done myself yet, but uh, for um, patients who've had it done multiple times, the uh, prep is much, much better uh, now than it used to be. Uh, so that's, that's something that uh, at least is in favor of that. And uh, the procedure itself is fairly low risk and, um, again, can help uh, catch a lot of those early cancerous polyps. Uh, that you can do something about and uh, and prevent you get from getting that. One of the best interactions I have with my patients is a gentleman that I was seeing for his primary care for a long time, was treating his as uh, hypertension and diabetes, and uh, he was really hesitant to get that colonoscopy because of things he'd heard about it. And uh, finally, he had it done, and then I saw him in follow up. And thankfully for him, uh, they caught a, a polyp, a lesion. Uh, early enough that they could do something about and it had invaded into the um, into the uh, superficial areas of the colon but hadn't gone deep enough to cause further damage so success story there and uh, he was just about at the point of tears big old guy uh, and uh, thankful that you know we had persisted in doing that so don't be afraid to do that certainly it's something that I think everybody needs to do and we don't need to forget about all the other care that needs to happen during COVID-19 uh, so that's just one of the things that we need to do. This is uh, Southern Remedy. Not, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say we've got about a minute and a half left. Um, I had one final question, and that we talked before we came on the air that I had this awful leg cramp uh, last week or so. W what exactly is a cramp and uh, what causes them? Yeah, cramps are due to a couple of different things. It can be due to anything from electrolyte imbalances within the muscle itself. Usually it's an overuse of the muscle or it's a strain on the muscle over time uh, that, uh, you know, in the midst of an activity, that's usually those myofibrils that, that can help the muscle contract. They're not able to do that for a certain reason. So it may be just an, uh, an acute overuse. Rest is important. Ice can be important with that stretching of the muscle, both during that activity, gently stretching it, and then um, trying to make sure that you rest it appropriately. A lot of times we'll try to push through that and we do more damage uh, in, in trying to, to uh, you know, sort of press through it. Uh, particularly right now, if you're outside and this happens, uh, prehydration is extremely important, eating a healthy diet. And uh, if you're going to be out there more than about 45 minutes, it's okay to drink something like Gatorade, Powerade, or an electrolyte uh, solution that's uh, not Pedialyte. That's designed to do different things. Um, but uh, those are uh, important to do while you're doing the activity. But really, it's much more important to drink plenty of fluids beforehand and eat appropriately beforehand. But sometimes it happens. It's very common, particularly in the summer months, 
when we put more stress on those muscles uh, in times of heat when we're losing a lot of fluids. So stay safe out there. And uh, Kevin, I hope you heal up appropriately. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.